Well, good morning. Have you ever been shocked before? Have y'all ever been shocked? Like you ever uh, just been so surprised when something happens? I shared this in the first service, uh, but uh, Jalen, who's playing bass today, let's give it up for the worship band actually for a second. Um, Jalen's first time out at this campus playing bass and uh, walked over to the medical building next door and opened the door. It was unlocked and the alarm went off. And he heard a voice say, uh, the authorities are on their way. So he got a little shocked this morning, uh, a little surprise. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been shocked, but we're going to read a passage in scripture that uh, must have been pretty shocking for disciples. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 9, I think uh, if you know this, Dustin and his family are at Disney. So he will be shocked when he gets that bill at the end of the week and sees how much everything is. If you've been to Disney, you're like, wait, how much is dinner? Um, Okay, and you just use that card and then pay it off when you get back, you know? Um, and it's shocking, it's tough. Um, I uh, also uh, was, was telling Brandon this morning, I heard this story this past week on a podcast, and I don't know how I missed it, but uh, if you've ever uh, heard of John Piper, he's a pastor uh, who is kind of uh, this, he's really a famous preacher, and he's pretty intense, like he's an intense guy, and his demeanor is intense. I always called him like a wretched old man because he would just kind of come up to the pulpit like this and preach, and uh, Josh Pratt does a good impression of him if you ever come across Josh. Um, But John Piper was slated to speak at this counselor's conference. So there's like 8,000 counselors at this conference, and John Piper slated to speak, but they put him in the comedian time slot, and he didn't know that, and he got up to preach, and as he's preaching, people are laughing at him, and he's trying not to be funny. He's being serious, but everybody thought, he was hilarious, and, um, and so he continued on, and, uh, and I wrote down a couple of phrases he, sa- he said that I thought was funny. He was saying, like, he was trying to say, I'm re- relating to counselors in the room, he's like, I know any attempt at schmoozing uh, would be known right away, and everybody's dying laughing, and then he says, well, let me tell you up front that I'm a sinner, and they all laughed at that, and he was like, I don't know why you're laughing, this is very serious, and they continued to laugh. I- I told Brandon, he gives them a glare at one point and they even laugh at that. Um, so it's super hilarious. So um, I know that there's lots of uh, times when context truly matters, right? For John Piper showing up at a conference and being told he's the comedian, others being told he's the comedian, um, it changed the context of even the things he was saying. When he's on stage saying, man, I'm a really big sinner, they looked at that a whole different way, right? And so context matters. And in Luke chapter nine, we're gonna read about the story called the transfiguration. And our context of understanding what is going on here truly does matter for us. So as we read this, keep, keep that in mind. And you may have had shocking things happen. You may have walked into strangers' houses before, you know, that, um, yeah, I know that's true. Um, you, may, you may have had other things that have caught you off guard, but what uh, these disciples walk through is uh, incredibly unique and incredibly um, inc- incredibly shocking. Let me just kind of tell you, like we're in Luke chapter nine, kind of leading up to this point in Jesus's ministry. Um, you, you, we've, we've been talking about this for the past uh, several weeks, right? As we walk through this series. Leading up to this, it's really been about the miracles of Jesus. Jesus has been healing people. We've seen um, so many things happen. He's turned water into wine and that's kind of what's gained him this notoriety. But there's this pivot that happens in this chapter as it says, Jesus sets his eyes on Jerusalem. And so this story is really sandwiched between kind of those earlier uh, ministry of Jesus, uh, miracles that were happening and the fact that Jesus is now on the road to the cross. And so keep in mind at this point, from a contextual standpoint, our disciples, they're looking for somebody to redeem them in that time. 
Rome was essentially occupying Israel. Uh, they, are, um, they, they are ruling Israel. And so what our disciples, what the Jews were looking for is somebody who's gonna come kind of redeem them from that, save them from this oppression, bring them out of that, be the Messiah for Israel. And Jesus is saying, I have something so much more, not just for these people in this time, but for all people for all time. And so Luke chapter nine is one of those moments where we kind of have this shocking moment, but it's this, it peels back the layer, if you will, and gives us a glimpse of who he is as we look forward. It kind of gives us a glimpse of who he is going to be, even as we continue reading in Luke chapter nine, and the disciples get that kind of glimpse as well. And just something else to notice is we, before we read this, is uh, Peter, James, and John are with Jesus at this point, right? So the three of them are with him on this mountaintop as we see this transfiguration um, take place. Peter, James, and John were just with Jairus as Jairus's daughter was raised back to life, if you remember that story, right? So we, we've experienced the fact that Jesus has this inner circle of disciples that he's bringing with them. Peter, James, and John. John, in fact, known as the one that Jesus loved, which that's I mean, that's kind of a cool moniker, right? Like, uh, I think I would do that. I would put that like on my Instagram profile. Be like, Pat, the one that Jesus loved, just so you know. Um, of course, now it'd be cheesy if I did that. But if it was like in scripture, that'd be pretty awesome, right? Um, and so Peter, James, and John, the three that Jesus has really put and devoted extra time into, he's brought with him on uh, this mountain. They've seen him do miraculous things and they're about to experience something incredible. So in Luke chapter nine, let's start in verse 28 and let's read this together. It says, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was now about, <clears throat> excuse me, about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw the glory of the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, is it, good that, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Let's, let's pray as we have read God's word. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to see your glory and to be moved by your presence. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, what an incredible, what an incredible story as we see this. Um, Jesus walks up on this mountain, which was a pretty normal thing to do, right? You get a different perspective on the mountain. So um, I went in a plane flying with Clayton recently and uh, Clayton who used to be on our production staff here and you get a different perspective when you're in the air in a plane, right? And if you fly over Greenville, you're like, oh man, like I thought this was a pretty big town but it looks pretty tiny from up here, right? Um, we flew over NGU and I took a picture of NGU and I was like, that's it's all of NGU right there, right? It just looks so small when you're up there. It gives you a different perspective on life. And so um, as, as was very common in this day, you would kind of climb up on a mountain, you could see um, you know, further away, you could see the city below, or you could see maybe your house from up there or whatever, and you're just getting a different perspective on life. It was a place where you would go to meet with God. 
It was a place where you would go to have one of those moments. I don't know what that is for you guys. Like for me, it's, it's riding in the car by myself usually. Um, I like to kind of have that as my uh, time with the Lord. That's my, a good prayer time for me. It's also like that time when I can think and let, like just feel like, man, this is getting away from everything and spending some time evaluating and looking ahead. Because once I get to the office, it's crazy. When I get home, it's definitely crazy. So, you know, it's just a lot of, lot of moving parts. But in the car, I got one task. And that's kind of the deal, right? And so, um, man, I love, I love that, that they went up on this uh, mountain to do that. Um, and in this passage, we see uh, that it's instructive. Jesus is reminding them that he's going to be the suffering Messiah. We see these characters, Elijah and Moses, show up. Now, I don't know, like, I don't think they introduced themselves because it doesn't even talk about them talking at all. It wasn't like, hey, I'm Moses. Good to meet you. Um, but somehow, the disciples knew who these guys were, right? So they're on this mountain. And uh, just this side note, the disciples fell asleep. All right. So can we all relate to that for a second? Okay. Like exhausted, tired. Jesus is up there like praying. They wake up and now Jesus is like emanating light from his body, right? He says his face was altered. I have no clue what's going on, but I can imagine it would be pretty shocking to wake up to that, right? If you woke up to even like your dog barking, you're like, what's going on, right? And now you're waking up and there's a, like Jesus's face is altered and light is like emanating from him. In fact, in Matthew 17, two, it says, he was transfigured before him and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Mark 9, three describes it this way. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them that white. It's this idea that Jesus himself was glowing in such a way that it was like, coming through his clothes as bright white, bright light coming through. And that's just, what an incredible moment to have been there, right? And seeing him talking with Moses and Elijah and you're like, this is like the hall of fame with like the savior of the world, right? You know, and I'm up here on this mountain and I just woke up, you'd be like, am I dreaming, right? Um, any, anybody sleepwalk, y'all sleepwalkers out there, you'd be like, uh, I think I, my, my brother talks in his sleep and uh, my wife has sleptwalked before. So, you know, I'm in that house. Um, but man, it's a lot of fun to see people sleepwalk. This is like real life. Okay. This is like, they woke up and this stuff is happening in front of them. And it's incredibly shocking. And Peter, um, kind of with this idea that let's, let's go ahead and let's do something to, to monument this and worship here in this place. This is an incredible thing to have you three guys here together decides to build these tents. And I love that Luke, Luke is kind of like his buddy here because as Peter says that, he, or, uh, he says, not knowing what he said at the end of that statement, right? It's almost like the equivalent of the Southern, like, bless his heart, right? He's like, and Peter, bless his heart. He wanted to build three tents, okay? That's kind of how Luke's writing this. It's like this reminder to be like, hey, Peter doesn't have it all figured out, but bless his heart, you know? He, he wanted to build those tents. And then immediately comes into this sense of this cloud showing up. So now you have Jesus who's transfigured and emanating light, and this cloud shows up and says, hey, this is my son, listen to him. It's kind of an interesting story for us as we dig in, and I wanna really talk about this, but the interesting thing for us is that this is a preview of the coming attraction. This is like getting a glimpse of what is to come with God's glory. And on that mountain, these disciples got a special moment. And so on that mountain, we see, first of all, the identity of Christ revealed. Jesus's identity was revealed as he was talking with Moses and Elijah. Why those two guys? Why is that significant? Well, Moses represented the Old Testament. 
right? Moses brought the law down from the mountain himself. He represented the Old Testament. He represented the law. He represented everything that every Jew would kind of point back to. And everything in the law was there to point to the fact that we can never measure up and we can never uh, live good enough. You and I can never be good enough. And Moses is this, this picture of what was, right, in the law for somebody who's Jewish to see them. Elijah kind of has this different vibe because if you remember, Elijah like went up into heaven and didn't die. And so there, we know that he's coming again in the end time. So there's this eschatological view for I, Elijah. So as Jesus is talking to these two men, he's talking about Moses who represents the law in the Old Testament, Elijah who represents things to come, this eschatological idea, which is like what is going to happen next, which by the way, we're, uh, midweek we're talking about revelation. If you don't have anywhere or a group to be in on midweek, come join us on Wednesday nights. And that was a, a pretty crazy graphic that we had there. I was like, that looks like, and this would be on the cover of a Tolkien book is what I was thinking when I saw that. It's pretty intense. Uh, but come join us because that is just this incredible story of what is to come and how Jesus is the conqueror. And so as Jesus talks with these two men, um, he is identified as the son of God by God himself, the chosen one. And we're told to listen to him. And I think this is super interesting for me because immediately Peter wants to build these tents and that wasn't super uh, abnormal. The tents were something that they would use for the Feast of Tabernacles. It was something that they would use as a part of that worship for them to, to hang out and to, to be a temporary uh, shelter. And so it wasn't the tent that was the problem. The problem with Peter with his tents is that he put them all together. He wanted to build three tents right here to memorialize that situation. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm above these. I'm above all. I am the Lord. Jesus is identified and revealed as the son of God. Now, just a few verses before, Peter had this moment where Jesus said, Peter, who do others say that I am? Right? And he's like, well, some say Elijah. Some say, you know, it kind of goes down this list. And, and Jesus says, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of God. And just a few verses later, Peter experiences this transfiguration of Jesus' presence and immediately almost kind of loses sight of that statement. Now, like in, in our church world, we tend to kind of give Peter a hard time, don't we? Like, we're like, man, dude was walking on water. He took his eyes off Jesus. He started to sink. You know, don't be like Peter. Remember, he's going to deny Christ three times before the rooster cry, crows, you know, and um, is it is rooster? Yeah, rooster crows. And uh, we've always seen the, the things on stage and like Peter's just like, I don't know him. And then it's like, wah. And he's like, oh man, like it's all making sense. You know, we kind of paint Peter with this brush as this really kind of bad dude, but he may have been impulsive, but here's kind of my whole take on it. Who else walked on water? You know, even if it was for a brief moment, who else did Jesus bring up on the mountain with him, right? Only two other guys. Who else got to be the one that, that Jesus said, your name is, is Simon. I'm going to change your name to Peter, meaning rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. I'm going to use Peter in Acts chapter 2 to preach this message where thousands come to the Lord and the church is born. And the church is not born on Peter, but on Jesus. He is the rock that we are born on. But Peter even has this moment where he is a part of not just Jesus's ministry, but what is to come for the church itself. And one of the reasons that we're here is from his own faithfulness. So we give Peter kind of a hard time, but at the end of the day, maybe we should be a little more like Peter. 
Like, I think I'd almost be the guy, rather be the guy that somebody says, you know, well, Pat tried really hard, bless his heart, you know? Then the guy that they're like, well, I don't know, he's with the other disciples down the bottom of the mountain. Like, I'd rather be on the mountain. I'd rather be there going, hey, I may have messed that up, but man, like, all I knew is I was in the presence of God. I felt like I got to do something, right? And so Jesus's identity is revealed in here. Peter is consistently putting his foot in his mouth. I am like um, the king of putting my foot in my mouth. Like I almost ruined Christmas for a kid this year. Uh, if you can kind of read into that, I'll just like uh, leave it at that for a staff member. Uh, that, was, that was rough. I had to text him later and be like, this is what you have to tell your daughter right now um, <laughs> for this to work. And uh, it, was, it was really rough. And then I was preaching in Malden a few weeks ago. And I was just talking about how we have bad neighbors we should love sometimes. And like I had neighbors where their dogs were like at 3 a.m. just barking all night long. And how sometimes you start thinking like what ammunition you have for your rifle at 3 a.m. Not implying that I would ever shoot the dog, but you should have seen their faces, right? Because y'all know, like, let's be real. At 3 a.m., you have those kind of evil thoughts, right? <laughs> You're just like, I don't know. Am I willing to go to jail for a good night's sleep? Maybe. Um, and, uh, and so then, you know, people judge you for that. So I put my foot in my mouth. Um, last night we went to out to eat for, uh, my son's birthday he turned 14 yesterday and my daughter, the waitress, for whatever reason, is beautiful, uh, girl, uh, long hair. She's right back here and not to call attention to her. Um, but the waitress is like, what about this big guy? And I was like, well, that's my daughter, not a dude with long hair and hoop earrings on. Um, but thank you. And then she, she already put her foot in her mouth. She just kept digging the hole. She was just like, I mean, well, the name Piper could be for a guy too, right? And um, also, you just, you never know these days. And I was like, we're just like, we got it. Like, move on. You're making it way worse, okay? Like, this is, like, we were expecting a discount. Like, it was at that level. <laughs> we're like, I was like, what are the probability we're getting some money off of this at this point? Um, so, like, it's easy to put our foot in our mouths, and it's easy for us to judge other people for that, right? Especially people who are trying to do something for the Lord. It's easy for us to look at them and be like, man, uh, that person just doesn't know what they're doing. But let me tell you, I would rather be the person who is doing my best to live out what I know than the person who's sitting on my hands doing nothing. So while Peter in this example is probably not the best example for us, it is a reminder to us that we should even be reminded that no matter how much you mess up, no matter how many bless your heart moments you have in your life, Jesus is still there for you. And let me tell you this, you will experience other issues in your life where you make poor choices. It's going to happen. You, you are going to make bad decisions. You are going to have a moment where you're like, I shouldn't have said that. I wish I could take my words back. You're going to have a moment where you wish you could have done that or invested that money differently. You're going to have moments in your life where you, 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 you just regret. But at the end of the day, Jesus still loves you because his identity who he is, he is our savior. No matter how many times you mess up or putting your foot in your mouth, be encouraged that no one is on par with Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, Moses, Elijah, no, they're, they're on a different level, bro. I am the son of God, trust in me, put your hope in me, follow me. And when that's the case, you're not elevating even yourself above somebody else. Because we do this in church, I think, uh, probably too often we do it in the world, but especially in church, right? Like how many times have you walked out and been like, whoa, that's a, man, that was a great message. He just did a really good job. And I just love it when he speaks. And like, this is why I don't want you to compare speakers because at our church, because I'm on the bottom of that list. And I don't want to be on the bottom. What we should do is walk out that door and be like, man, Jesus is so good. 
That was just a reminder to me of how great Jesus is. And if ever in my ministry, I hear people talk about me and my ministry more than they talk about Jesus and his ministry, I'm doing it wrong. I think it's okay to encourage people like Brandon did an incredible job last week, our students coordinator at this campus. If you have a teenager, you're gonna want them to get involved with our students. Let Brandon know, it's incredible. We have some incredible communicators, incredible leaders at our church, but it is a misnomer for us, a problem for us, if we elevate any person above Jesus or even try to put somebody at his level. And I say this as a dad and I say this as a husband because those are the first areas in my life that I can elevate above Jesus. Those are the first areas in my life that can become more important to me than even Jesus sometimes. And I have to be reminded, it's Jesus first. One of the hardest things for me, I was in student ministry for 20 years and one of the hardest things for me is when I hear a parent discouraging their kid to follow Jesus, whether it be a ministry or missions or something like that, because man, there's no money in that. You don't wanna do that. And I'm like, why would you ever discourage your kid in following Jesus, putting Jesus first? It's hard because we elevate other things above Jesus in our life. We elevate people in our life above him. Jesus is reminding us, I'm not on par with those. Don't worship the messenger. J.C. Ryle said this, he said, Moses and Elijah were the king's servants, but Jesus was the king's son. Moses and Elijah were planets, but Jesus is the son. They were witnesses, but he is the truth. And if there's any encouragement for us is that we are not perfect and will not be perfect, but Jesus is who we lean on and who we lean into. So that leads to the second thing, the prophecy of God is fulfilled. On the mountain, we see the prophecy of God is fulfilled. Moses, as I mentioned, this typological picture of the Old Testament and the Exodus and really the law, and then you have Elijah as that eschatological figure. Jesus fulfills those expectations and reveals himself in a glorified state. The whole Old Testament is pointing to Jesus and pointing to this need of a savior. And we're reminded in this moment that Jesus wasn't part of the story. He was the point of the story. It's the same glory that Moses encountered on that mountain when Moses went up to meet with Jesus and got the 10 commandments and brought them down. And it says that his face shone, he could, he could show that he'd been with God. It's the same glory Moses met on that mountain when he came down. It's the same glory that led the nation of Israel through the wilderness. If you remember, it was a cloud by day and a, and a fire, a pillar of fire by night that led them through the wilderness. It was the same glory that led the nation of Israel. It was the same glory that filled the temple of the Holy of Holies and the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt and the priests would go into the Holy of Holies and make these sacrifices for the people of Israel and it would be filled with a cloud of God's presence and he would use incense to even cloud it further because to be in the presence of God would be sure death for a sinner like us. And so he would go into that presence into the Holy of Holies, the same glory. It's the same glory that led people to Christ's birth in the sky and it's the same glory that showed up to the shepherds to announce Jesus' birth that surprised those shepherds out on the field. It's the same glory that showed up on this mountain right now. And so how do you view God's glory? Because I think sometimes when I think of Jesus, like, I don't know, I think of like the cartoon Jesus with like a little, little lamb in his hand, you know? And I'm just like, hey guys, like, I'm Jesus, thanks for coming. Like, that's almost what comes to mind in a lot of ways for us when we think of Jesus. But Revelation 18 reminds us that Jesus, the next time we see him, is gonna be riding a white horse, wearing a white robe dipped in blood with a tattoo of his name on his thigh and a a sword coming out of his mouth. Like Jesus is not weak. 
Jesus is the son of God. He is the conqueror. And you cannot experience his glory and not leave changed, not leave different. John 1, 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And his glory is big enough to envelop anything that we have in our lives. The problem is we don't make Jesus the center of our lives. We make Jesus just a small part of our lives. And yet he's saying, I want to be everything in your life because my glory is more than capable of enveloping everything else in your life. Jesus fulfilled that. And the third thing is the purpose of, of Christ is clarified. In verse 51 of this same chapter, it says he set his face toward Jerusalem. And if you see that phrase, what he's saying is, I am looking forward to the cross. From that point, Jesus is moving forward toward the cross. Even as he spoke with Moses and Elijah, they were talking about the pain and suffering that he would experience. They were talking about the, the challenges that he would face. And so as the disciples wake up here on this mountain, they're hearing about that. That doesn't sound like something they really wanna get into. How many of us are really seeking after discomfort or pain, right, or persecution? Most of us are not. And yet Jesus is like, I'm setting my face toward Jerusalem because the purpose of Christ is the cross. And as God the Father shows up, he shows up as a cloud. He shows up in, in their presence and says, this is my son, listen to him. I think that's interesting because Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses says that the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. For a Jew to hear God say, listen to him, they would make that connection that he has called up a prophet that we should follow and we should listen to. That should matter to us. As God's presence is there, as God is presently with them, his glory is what matters. Him directing our hearts and our lives is what matters. Him being the center of everything that we do matters, not just a part of our day, not just like showing up Sunday for an hour or two or maybe to a group, but every decision you make as a family, everything you do when you wake up should be his, not just picking up a Bible or reading scripture um, on occasion, uh, but man, to say, I'm devoting my life to know him and to know his glory. I read the story this week of a World War II soldier who was in a concentration camp in Germany. And while he's in this concentration camp, he found out that the war had ended. He found out that the war was already over, but they were still locked up because the Germans had not gotten the news. It wasn't like today where news just travels instantly across the world, right? It took time for news to get to places. And he speaks through the fence to his friend, his colleague, another American soldier in Gaelic, because they, if they spoke English, they would get in trouble. So he spoke Gaelic to his friend and said, the war is over. Be encouraged. And as they walked through that, man, what, a, what a, a, an exciting thing that they were experiencing. They were about to be free. They were about to be liberated from where they were. And God had, or excuse me, the, the Germans did not know what was going on. And so for the next three days, they still experienced suffering. They still experienced the same poor treatment, the same poor food, the same issues that they were dealing with, but they were living with a different kind of hope because they knew very soon that word would arrive to this concentration camp and they would be freed. Man, we live with a different hope. We know that Jesus is already on the winning side, that we follow him, 
We are on the winning side. No matter what we walk through in our life, no matter what challenges we face, his glory is enough. What he's done for us on the cross should be enough for us. And he says, I have a different plan for you. He transfigured in front of these disciples, but he says, I want to transform your heart. Second Corinthians five says, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. We have a new heart. God has implanted in us a new life. And he says, this process of becoming like him begins on a day when we decide to follow him. You can't experience God's glory and not walk away changed. Jesus offers us that transformation this morning. When Moses went up on the mountain, Moses met with God and got the commandments. And as he came down, the people of Israel were worshiping a golden calf and many people died that day. That was not a very pretty day. Elijah had a similar moment on a mountain where he went up on a mountain and there was the prophets of Baal that were there. There's 450 of them. And and Elijah prayed a simple prayer to a magical fire from heaven lit up this altar that was all wet and everything with water and burned it all up. And 450 prophets of Baal did not survive that day. And yet Jesus, not only on this hill, but he walked up another hill. He walked up a hill with a cross on his back and he was crucified. And one person died that day. Jesus gave his life so that all men, all women, all children, all all of us in the world that were to even come would have the hope in the cross, that through his sacrifice, through his blood, through what he gave up for us, we could lean into our hope in him. His glory is enough in my life. And seeing this story is a reminder to me, it's, it's some, it would be shocking if we were there, but it's a reminder to me that he has just given us a glimpse of what is to come. I'm thankful that one day we're gonna have a glorified body in heaven one day. We're not gonna be stuck in these old things. That's really great for me. I'm excited about that. Um, but man, Jesus gave us a glimpse of what was to come. He's saying, follow me, man. I'm telling you, there is no one and nothing greater. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you came and you're just like, Pat, listen, here's the deal. I've never decided to follow Jesus with my life. I've never truly understood his glory. And today you wanna make that decision. I wanna encourage you to do that. There's a card, you can, you can grab a card. You can just say, somebody contact me. You could say, I've decided to follow Jesus. We'd love to have that privilege to talk with you. You can even grab one of us by the hand. Or maybe you're like me. Maybe this morning you're just like, man, to come face to face with God's glory. I wanna walk out of here changed with the realization that he should grab every bit of my heart today and forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love that you've shown us, the glory set before us on the cross, the fact that even this morning, we take none of it for ourselves. You deserve every bit of it in our lives. And Father, in these final moments, we, we wanna reflect back to you the glory that you deserve that we would surrender this morning to who you are, even be reminded of this story and um, how amazing that was and, and transformative it must have been for those guys. God is transformative still today for our lives, that you're transforming our hearts as we lean into you as the son of God, the redeemer of mankind, the Messiah, our savior. And so we love you and we worship you and we lift up your name today because you're the only one who deserves it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.